Warning, this episode will touch on the history of nation-to-nation relationships between Indigenous peoples and the Canadian Crown. Our discussion will reflect on what it was to be an Indigenous person living near a newly formed Canadian colony and will and touch on the violence brought to that way of being. We felt the need to preface this episode by warning that it will necessarily discuss colonial shitting of the sheets. Viewer discretion is advised. So I'll do like my um, Vincent Price. Good evening, <laughs> and welcome to tonight's show. Okay, <clears throat> did you ever have those moments where you forget where you were going, or like who was driving for the last five minutes, or what you were even doing during that time? Maybe you just had something in your hands, or you put your keys down for a second, but you swear it was there. But then when it's time to leave, you're you're unable to find it. Maybe you have walked a path, you've walked your entire life, but one day, for some reason, You are unable to make sense of the way out. Well, you're not alone. These experiences are familiar to us as Indigenous people. So maybe, just maybe, your misfortune was caused by Siet. More often than not, the Siet are sprightly tricksters of little danger. However, like all creatures, their power should not be underestimated. Tonight, we will discuss how sometimes... Even the smallest of creatures can have the largest of implications. I'm Jackson Wiley, and with me here tonight are Chris Corshane and Tyrone Elliott. And tonight on Holmo Horror, we dive into the story of the little people. To see yet. Ty, hit him with that pen, indigenous. All right, Jackson, draw me a beat. I call this one, see ya diss track. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't wanna beat ya. Busting down the trail and I'm stepping on your feet. OTM, yeah, big bad, I'm with them. Little people, I did tools in your jazz. Don't catch me, sitting in a tree. Rather than kissing, I'd be K I C K I N G. So, what do you think? I've never heard you rap before. How did you just do that? Now, as we did before in Thoki, let's, I want to situate ourselves in space and time. I want to use our native powers of history vision to think about where and when the story takes place. I'm Robert Pattinson. <laughs> is the voice part of your powers? This is my normal voice. <laughs> what do you mean? This is yeah. my voice. Well, guys, Chris got to do his cool, scary guy. That's his voice, That's how we talk all the time. Well, this is, this is my voice. Where was I? <laughs> I feel safe saying this story is set on a well-used traditional footpath, somewhere between what is now downtown Ladysmith and Couch and Bay. Yeah, I think it was probably somewhere along what's now the Trans-Canada Highway or a major road now, or just even maybe somewhere alongside the waterways that go between those places. So I'd like the ancient indigenous trails. I'm trying to picture that. I can't picture that without a highway. I'm just trying to think. Mm. Highway 1 from... No, where Ladysmith Just is. past Duncan, say. North of Duncan. Ladysmith is a uh, transfer beach? Yeah. Cow Bay, when you're on the highway, like yeah. country grocery. Okay, I get it. Okay, so that's where it was. And then it was just like the trails that were taken over by settlers or visitors yeah. who came here from... They would have been the, the trails that nations used to travel between each other and to trade and... Oh... So basically a walking path where the Indians went from one place to sun their belly. not a walking path, they're running path. (laughs) (laughs) To get to the place where they sun their belly and to 
<laughs> spend all day so they can go to another place and send their back. Now, when this takes place is a complicated thing to discuss. A Christian calendar will tell you somewhere around the years 1850 to 1865 against a backdrop of colonization. But in but an indigenous calendar might say that it was an end time. A time closing an age of living and beginning an age of survival. A familiar time on the edge of an era of tricksters, the villainous types of which us Indians must once again dance with as part of a rotation on the immemorial wheel of time. In this time period, Canada's not really... They haven't expanded into BC yet. They are expanding west, but BC is like just not a thing. The RCMP has not been created yet. The Northwest Mounted Police haven't even been created yet. After the Northwest Resistance, the settlements aren't even so much settlements at this point as they are military stations and trading posts. So this is the time where like they're getting the Chinese to build the railroad tracks and then they take a group selfie of all these white guys in colonial clothing hammering the last spike. It's like maybe a little before then I'd have to check. Gold rush, that's my picture. You know what I mean? Like no one there, like some guy just panning for gold on the Fraser mm-hmm. and like just showing up. Yeah. Uh so for context, like Treaty Eight. That, oh, so which, they, which they uh was you know, it was ratified basically to get to the gold rush. The gold rush, yeah. That's about forty ish years later. Okay. So I was way yeah. off. Well there would have been gold yeah. miners through yeah. BC at this time, yeah. but as far as towns it's going to be like the sort of one saloon shanty like town. ghost towns and mm-hmm. stuff like that, or now ghost towns yeah. anyways. Like the the beginnings of what would become Fort Victoria, maybe you would... Just long trails for something, like riding horseback to this and that during like the Klondike era and stuff like that, and like soggy ground and saloon, like just... It would have been very swampy. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of like bogs and swamps on the island that were drained later for farm usage. This is like central, central south. Okay, now that makes that paints a big picture. I'm not from here, so in this story, you're a little older than a child. In the late morning, you walk along a seaside path. You are surrounded by girthy trees that grip the ever dampness of the ground. Ferns and middle story berry bushes reach out to you from the side of the path, gently tickling on your body and leaving traces of dew. You know spring is here. Not because you are warm yet, but because the air is just muggy enough that the temperature mixed with the humidity causes your sweat to pool around your body and chill you. It's misty under the cover of the forest and dim, but through the gaps in the immense trees, you see breaks of morning sunlight poking through. I think something about this time that a lot of people might not necessarily understand is how thick and how deep the forests would have been. Those those trails that would have been used, they would have been, you know, clear enough to travel along. But outside of those, it would just be endless. Those forested, those heavy, deep areas, it would be so easy to lose your way. And, you know, when you're in the woods and it's early spring, the the light is shining through and you can, like, 
kind of feels like you're in an other world. There's like flowers are starting to bloom, the camas bulbs in the meadows are starting to sprout up. It would have just been almost paradise. Like ferns, like all just a bunch of ground cover with big trees above it. Big ferns. There'd be a lot of berry bushes. Oh, like, There'd be trailing blackberry like all around. High, like taller ferns the, here, berry bushes up here. So it'd be hard enough to walk through that. Yeah, but there is yeah. a trail that's perfect. Yeah, like, it's going to be perfect. Oh, okay. yeah, a well, well yeah. used. I guess I think just it's a like an Indian highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where they ran. Air quote. The stifling air is interrupted by the refreshing breeze off the Salish Sea. This cycle of chilling and sweat helps to purge the last remnants of the fever you took <coughs> over the winter. The fever was vicious and alien, brought to you by cursed air and cloth that burned through your body as it burned through large chunks of your community. At this time, there would have been, I, I think purge is a good word for it, pandemic, multiple pandemics. Uh, there would have been a great loss of life, and depending on where and when, populations could have been depleted by as much as 60 to 90%. Those vast trade networks that existed, uh, the diseases fall, um, the diseases traveled along those paths before the settlers had even made it this way. And so there'd be this non-understanding of how or why, or there would have been a slight understanding. We would have heard from other nations what, what was going on more eastward, but like a, a rumor, like I heard, or is it, there's this sickness coming or people are dying of or like just a well yeah that and um there would have been the different understandings from different nations about what was happening some of them maybe would have um had different relationships with the with the settlers that were that were settling mm -hmm. and so some of them would be like yeah they gave us this and Oh, yeah, like, like classic. Like, yeah. oh, hey, thanks, new friend. Like, yeah. And then some of them would have had very adverse relations. And so there'd be all of this different information coming at you. You wouldn't quite understand, like, what the reality of it is until they got there. Mm -hmm. But people are dying. I always wonder, too, like, I don't want to single people out, but who typically were settlers when we say settlers? Just like a side note, I was just thinking at the moment. Like, who would you think with groups? Or is that no, no, no. Is that getting too? No, no, no. <laughs> I just uh, thought about it. Like, who are no. settlers? It, it's, it's, uh, it's always such a faceless character, I guess. So the the French traders would have been a part of it. The uh, the English mm -hmm. were the biggest part of it. There was some Spanish settlement, yeah. although Russians. they were so southern, right? Yeah, they were a little bit more south. Although, like the San Juan Islands, yeah, for oh, example, on the Fuca, yeah, on the Fuca. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then, uh, if you go back a little bit, the, the first, uh, settlers that made their way this way were Russians, but they didn't have as much like settlement. It was more trading posts and they weren't trying to like fish. Yeah. Furs. Yeah. Just like tourism, like tour hunting and stuff like kind of yeah. something like that, just a visit. Um, 
there there were absolutely adversarial um, relations between them and the natives at times, but it wasn't like this widespread big conflict that was yeah. like, oh, I hate yeah. white folk or whatever. Yeah. The setting down of roots kind of wasn't the same. Yeah. Still, in the spirit of your people, you find optimism. You are looking to warm up and dry off. You are headed to sunny weather, a visit to relatives to a place nearby. In Hulkaminum, roughly, this place is known as that summer spot to get a sweet tan. All the places to be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the actual meaning of Cowichan or Cowitzen comes from the word Skeleton. Skeleton is vaguely translated to the place where the sun warms your back. <laughs> is there another place, though, too, Victoria? Place, yeah. place to cook your fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we have any other ones, though? Like, country, like, I'm just trying to be real, though, at the same time, like, place that has... Like the place to paddle hard, or like a place like strong something. What are you trying to say? <laughs> to lay around, but like, where's the place where you get work done? And where we made this dugout canoe, place where we make canoes, or a place where we do stuff other than lay around. Okay, okay. So that actually does bring up a good point. Is um, on the island generally, but especially Cauchinarius, Domainus, Nanaimo, the places where the um, rivers lead to and meet the ocean. Yeah. We had lots of salmon. Mm-hmm. So that was a very hearty and very abundant food source. And so, um, you know, uh, when white folk came this way, they, they thought the same way. They're like, why why don't they do anything in the winter? But it's because we had the entire summer, spring, fall to stock up on food, to stock up on emergency provisions. And so, you know, in the winter, we kind of do just like stay inside a lot slate around yeah but it's because the the climate here is temperate enough that we can do that mm-hmm. and it was a time for a lot of other nations that would come here um i this is just something i've heard i don't know if this was a widespread thought yeah. but they thought of us as philosophers because we had the time to do art we had the time to think we had the time to like um, get philosophical about concepts and yeah. Well, that, like I said, that, remember our discussion we had the other day um, from the market from the Naimo is looking at other communities how they don't have a representation of like crafts or time spent on decorative things mm-hmm. versus functional things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we had like structures for housing, mm-hmm. uh, like Inuit and the, the igloos, I guess I'll say, uh, the coolies and things that were served a function, had time spent building that versus like say a totem that is more. I'm ignorant on that too. It might serve a purpose that's beyond my knowledge, but mm-hmm. it also is decorative. It's just an art piece and it's an expression and exploratory other than just uh, work, shelter, safety, right? Other those primal, uh, primary needs. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was neat. And even somewhere else, if I'm looking, I don't see many displays of large, that takes a lot of work to make. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't just whip up a totem pole like back in the day, you know, let me just get my angle grinder, you know? So. <laughs> I just found that curious as it was uh, sharing. No, it's a really good point. Um, to to the point of the poles, and I will clarify here that totem poles, well, totem comes from dotem, which is, mm-hmm. I, I believe, from your area. We saw some. I actually saw one too. I'm like, yeah. what the heck is this doing here? I sent you a video, I think, of that. And dotem is a concept that we didn't have 
or like at least not like one to one, not directly. It's not a, a word we would have ever used. Okay. Um, so the the poles that you see, the the multi level ones, those yeah. come from more up north. Okay. Uh, the ones here would have been more ceremonial, well, not more ceremonial, but they would have been ceremonial. They would have been maybe one tier. They would have been like a welcoming figure. They would have been a, um, to commemorate like a hereditary chief after they passed or like they would have been very, um, purposeful. And a lot of the time they were well welcoming other nations onto mm -hmm. a territory or they were a way to um highlight the spirituality of our people oh. so like may, not in a physical sense they didn't have like a use yeah but they did have a use in a larger sense and going back to that philosophical when piece, you back up look at it first yeah. it's just it's this immediate okay it's like an indigenous land registrar too. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, if we're away, but you know, our guy's standing yeah, over there. Like, yeah, our yeah. Gonna, gonna ring cam on here. You continue your walk. You hope your walk remains quiet and lonely because strange new people are appearing in your world. You had only seen them in the distance until you met one with your relative. They spoke and acted cordial and polite to you, like friends. But you sensed that was a mask. As they proclaim peace and friendship, you feel otherwise. Just by talking with them, you feel an invisible hand squeeze panic around your throat. Your grandparents told you to stay away from the newcomers because they drank strange potions made from the blood gained in the murder of a god. From a distance, you have seen the potions make them delirious and even silly. But you've been told that at night those spirits they ingest overtake them until they become possessed with the fornications of the damned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes me like. I don't know how to say this. The. It would have been very strange because the all the nations around you and in the extended trade networks, you would have some understanding of their customs and their practices. And this just would have been like so different yeah. than what you would have known. Like they, they're coming in, you're like, they drink that guy's blood. <laughs> Brown bottle. I always like that one. I don't know why. What's it from? Uh, Bury my heart at wounded knee. But he's a good doctor in town, and all these Indians start coming up, you know, and they see him, Indian doctor, like, brown bottle, brown bottle. Could have been that strange potion that, that we were talking about. Mm. They're eating his body. They're getting milk from that goat or something. <laughs> Their symbol is what they killed that guy with. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that one guy. The elders have avoided telling you directly about the nature of these people. But you hear them speak in worried and hushed whispers in the night. The strangers are an industrial and warlike people. Along your walk, you will see the home they've built on your lands. It is a hungry fortress made of cannons and spears. So these ones are the forts. That's what I keep looking at too, right? Like how it looks. I don't know if it's similar to like I don't know, Pocahontas, the movie, like all the logs and this and that and the metal sticking out. Like, 
I'm picturing like East Coast first contact forts yeah. versus how it looked here because you know obviously you know the colonialism mm-hmm. like evolved when it got here right so yeah they had like perfected it but <laughs> well, I was thinking that, that effect like affected before it was like seemed so destitute like they're eating belts and their shoes or whatever right mm-hmm. and then over here they're more equipped there's other uh settlers i was gonna say whites but that, that sounds a bit awful but i'm just saying like they would pack better before they just think just a makeshift shelter just to survive and over mm-hmm. here it's like okay now we know how to survive yeah more uh we know how to defend against because we know their weapons and yeah. tactics mm-hmm. and stuff like that i just thought maybe no you're you're on the right track like they they definitely are better prepared yeah. than than they would have been on the east um and especially because like the hudson's bay company has been a thing for a long time now mm-hmm uh, they have the backing of the Hudson's Bay Company. They have the backing of England. Um, the and actually something that like a lot of the settlements in this area, mm-hmm. um, they had Métis people with them because they were good trackers, good hunters, mm-hmm. and they like it. That's kind of the start of a conflict yeah. that exists in different ways today. Yeah. Of. Uh, you know, there are Métis people that have been here for like 200 years, mm-hmm. but why? <laughs> <laughs> to all our Métis friends out there, <laughs> to see you. <laughs> no, and I, I don't mean it like that at all. I don't like I don't have any issue with yeah. Métis people. It's just there is that historical context to mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, to to answer your question, just like it is like a fort, like a fort you would think of. Yeah, but just probably better equipped like they do have supply chains they, are like more there are supply coming. chains yeah. and well they're surrounded by food now and yeah well yeah and they yeah. like they have their cannons they have their weapons they have their guns since those newcomers have arrived women have gone missing in the night and men have been killed in confusion your waterways once safe havens for bathing and serenity now echo the stories of the violent hunt of your people. Cowichan actually had already has already done battle with Fort Victoria. Uh, land defenders have been hanged, and there's been juries, and the juries would consist of only white folks. No, oh, yeah. so like there were quote unquote crimes that happened. That eh. <laughs> yeah, this may be the hurt talking, but like when you drove, when I drove to what Cowichan was that area where you I picked you up? Yeah. But that you can see some buildings and like the old buildings too. Like, um, it's like, yeah, they definitely killed people there. You know, they mm-hmm. definitely like, murdered Indians there. So. Mm-hmm. Well, for example, uh, one of the like more famous Indians in the Nanaimo area is Cole Tai, but he's famous among, among white folks because he was the one that showed them that there's coal. Well, Cole Tai, yeah, black lung pop, yeah, and then very imaginative name, yeah, and then there were other like. There was a Cowichan man who, um, in Victoria, a um, a lady found him attractive and went to be with him. And then the, the colonizers said, "Oh, they stole her," and so he was he was hanged eventually for that. And there was this big like I don't remember the exact details, but they like swapped somebody out for him and that person was hanged instead. Another son another son of the chief. Yeah. yeah. And it um it's like, I forget if this is related to that or if it was in separate instance, but it ended up in a chase that happened and it the chase happened all the way to Nanaimo. And there's an area in Nanaimo called 
um, Chase River. Oh, okay. And that's why it's called that. And people don't know that. Mm. Like, most people, like, that's not something that you learn. If you What's crazy. Mind. Yeah. That we just call it that. Yeah. Just for no real reason. Yeah. The Chase. You know? yeah. Chase River. River. Yeah, yeah. Down the Chase River. It's right on the side of Lynching Street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Agreed. But another one, bringing it back to a little bit of the, the paranormal, for lack of a better word. As we were driving back the other day, I'm referring to real life and what we're talking here. Is that way we always talk about, like, you folks, you people, sorry, that uh, it's dark. You know what I mean? You wouldn't mm -hmm. go out how dark it was outside with, like, modern-day lighting and stuff like that. And you guys mm -hmm. are all inside or whatever. <laughs> but I wonder, these forts, these settlers, if they maybe either documented or undocumented, but had experience with things that they couldn't explain in the dark. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, you know I mean, like, yeah. you know, how they process that and how yeah. it feels. Because I just, I always try to go back to my thing about like before white folks came, or but back in the day, I was thinking yeah. about like it's just always dark. Yeah. And like, you mm -hmm. want to get that fire, you leave that fire, you hear something, or you have to you sneak out because you're not staying there with a bunch of men all the time. But mm -hmm. like, I'm sure something happened. Something like what was that? Mm -hmm. Kind of weird. Or, mm -hmm. So I like I just like thinking about that when you were mentioning like more historic or back in the day type of things. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think, like, we would go out at night, it would be, like, night fishing, night, night that, fishing. that kind of stuff, yeah. oh. um, but it was very, like, we were very careful about it, we didn't know what was out there, we didn't know how to keep safe. And, Everyone would be together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that um, would be that one. Like, they used yeah. to harvest gooey ducks at night, yeah. and they would, because they poke their heads above at night, and, it's a type oh. of clam that looks a lot oh, like a yeah. penis, and it... It would, it, <laughs> and so people would swim down and grab them while they're oh in the water too. yeah mm -hmm. while they're poking up mm -hmm. but then all along the beach there would be fires cooking fires and warming fires so you could see a bit yeah because i was thinking about that they'd just be insanely dark so yeah. that's what i'm yeah yeah change it's absurdly like impenetrably dark and then there's probably others like an occurrence or even undocumented story about like someone was just gone like mm -hmm. they just not only that, I just think about that. That's kind of got the heebie I just don't like the dark, I guess. Mm -hmm. Cool here, anyways. I'm, I'm okay in dark in my house. It's a strange <laughs> dark. Your emotions are paranoid, frustrated, and angry. The way the newcomers treat the land is war to your laws and your spirit. The very soil is killed where they land. The waters around their giant metal canoes shimmer with poisonous rainbows. The forests weep for the wounds they have suffered. I just want to say, like, since we're home horror, I do want to say something that horrifies me is the fact that white people had to be taught to bathe. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the powdered wigs. <laughs> we were very stringent bathers here. Yeah. Yeah. Every water source you passed, it was the rule of thumb, was every water source you passed, you bathed. You'd stop, take yeah. a break, and oh sun your belly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I just can't. Yeah, you guys work. <laughs> it's not Mondays or Sundays. Or anytime I have a gift card. It feels like a time where those remaining in your community have immense pressure on them. Your old ones knew this day was coming. Its movement west was reported in discussions with your trading partners, far inland of the Great River in the east. So it's kind of like um, the Indian version of the game Telephone. So how news traveled, like if there were such thing as runners. <laughs> like, I know, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's going to be an Ojibwe thing where you can you know, get your land back for that. But um, I just like 
briefing on you guys about like you know having abundance and the ability to not work. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just trying to picture how it would travel. Like so, if we're not looking at it as the mail or a text message or phone, right? So it would be like some guy visits. I, I don't understand why they would visit. Like you know, just neighboring nations, right? Would always come visit and see mm-hmm. stuff. Like, hey, I heard about this, and people, are like, hey, what's going on? How you been? That well, it'd, type. Be, it'd be family too. In the oh, yeah. so a big here's a big huge trade is like uh, so the mainland. Like Salish cousins yeah. would have, they kind of were, their joke was like, oh, here come all those couchins, because we would go over across the, the Salish Sea like yeah. in huge numbers. Yeah. And the big thing we would trade is we would bring like dried clams and salmon, dried salmon, which they would have had in, in quite a good number on the Fraser River and the beaches. But what we were coming for was um, the wool of uh, mountain goats. That's oh, how man. those old couchin sweaters are often made oh, of, is mountain goat wool. And they used to say, like, the old story is that there used to be so much mountain goat wool that was just peeled off them as they walked by branches, like their oh, winter yeah. shed, mm-hmm. that it looked like the mountain had snow on it mm-hmm. because of all the fur. It's actually really cool. They would they would climb the mountain and yeah. pick it up with their feet and put it in a basket. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and then another thing that we would trade with them is our woolly dog wool. Oh, yeah. So nice. we, like selectively bred a dog basically to have like long thick luscious hair um fed it fed it salmon for the omega-3s and oh so it's got like just luscious like yeah yeah and um like what what i've heard is that uh mountain goat wool and woolly dog hair was equally valued so you would trade like oh just for a bag for a bag kind of thing (laughs) so like a Shit, drug deal in my head, bag for a bag. But that's um, that's how they would do it then. So like, they would get all the news there. They they go on the little journey, mm-hmm. tribal journeys or mm-hmm. whatever that, and then trade, do this, and then that would be the main conduit of information for the telephone game to happen. Like, hey, there's guys here. There's people been dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's white folk coming. Hide your, yeah. <laughs> hide your sister. Hide your. No. Yeah. But like, so that's and they would then come back and. No. So people going to the mainland, like we're saying, inner coast Salish cousins, mm-hmm. were that was that just one family or one nation going, or was that like several groups from different parts of the island going to visit? So the like, the main time that would happen is during like the fishing season. So there'd be like I I don't know like fifty hundred canoes. They'd all travel over to the mainland, over to what's now like where the airport is. Okay, yeah, yeah. They'd, they'd start drumming like a couple miles out yeah. so that they knew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, sure. Sure. then they'd be like, oh, the, the, the cowichin are coming. And um, the, the fishing spot there was like shared territory. Okay. So they'd be like, okay, it's their turn. And they'd uh, leave and then we'd go and see our family and, you know, all that stuff while we're there. But, Feast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing Something is like what's <laughs> colloquially now known as yeah. a potlatch. That's not what we called it, but yeah, I don't um, like that sound. Yeah. Word like latch, yeah. pot, and latch. Yeah. Potlatch is Chinook. So yeah. it's the trade language. Yeah. Okay, it's a generalized term for like what people did up and down the coast, mm-hmm. but it, like it's different all over. Um, but when we would invite people over, we'd go up like up to like um, Sea Shelt area. Okay. 
all the way down to Vancouver. We'd go to the um, places on the on the island like Comox and Qualicum and those areas. And we'd also go over, well, the border wasn't there, but over the border <laughs> down to like Lummi, Tulalip, like those areas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Puget. Yeah, Puget. Yeah. And so, and then those nations over there probably had relations with people a little bit further in those people had relations with people a little bit further in okay yeah and then that's where they got their juice or like yeah. the gossip did you see goss yeah like if you look at it from um a linguistic perspective yeah there's a general like i wouldn't understand interior salish but you can kind of tell that there's similar roots to words. Oh, okay, so like, and even Sequepum Sheen yeah. shares a lot of words. Yeah, the Sequepum people, like, yeah. in like so, Kelowna, Kamloops area. It's not foreign, but it's like I can tell what you're saying, but you're saying it wrong. Like, dost thou have thus die in time? <laughs> the, you know what I mean? So I, like, I know you're talking English, but yeah. if I took a second, I gotta figure out what you're saying. Yeah, except like maybe like one degree past that, even. Oh, even more. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, because it's clicking sounds, or you know, like you're, yeah. you're glutial. Yeah, they would have different. Glottal. Very glottal. is of the bum. <laughs> <laughs> just, just clapping them cheeks and yeah, conversation. Open it all. We have... And we're back. I'm Robert Pattinson. These aliens have brought great strife. You don't know this, but these strange ones are guided by the will of a great and terrible medicine man named Araxis. The whispers across the land are that he uses evil spells to capture Indians in leather-bound sheets of tree and ensnares the land in an, in an invisible net of ownership power, which neither the living nor the dead can escape. This net allows Rexus to use bad medicine to command the minds of legions of men who will sweep the land and create a monster made of metal teeth and fire. What? <laughs> Sorry, I think one more time. <laughs> What's the problem? Uh, all of it. Too much? Sorry, I just watched that movie where Batman's a high school emo kid from Twilight or something. I was baked. <laughs> you, continue, you continue your walk and reflect on how you are feeling. The air has an anxious weight. You've walked your path, this path your entire life, but notice it is changed by the land's burden of grief. Paranoia is deep within your heart. You remember a lost elder, parent, aunt, uncle, cousin, or sibling. However, this path remains the Hulkaminum people's own, still insulated from the greedy eyes of Rexus. It is quiet, private, and untouched by the spoils of Canadian settlement. It is pristine, neat, abundant in food, and as far as you know it, safe. That is the world where we find ourselves tonight. Forget Halister, scary guy. I think that one. There it is. The story always begins with a young woman. She was the oldest. The children in her family. She lived with their grandparents. 
All her life, the young woman's grandfather would always take her on walks to visit the nearby community. The path they used to get there had a long trail through the woods. Sometimes they walked the path. Her grandfather told her a story. On the walk, he was telling her about when he was a kid. He said, if we ever hear a tree falling when it's really calm and quiet, with no wind, no nothing, we see if we can find that tree that fell. Because we wanted to see if we could find the little people who would have done it. We wanted to catch them. Because if we did, we would have good luck for the rest of our lives in anything that we wanted. And he laughed about it. Because he doubted that they would ever see any little people. He had heard of them. And seen one before. But he had never caught any. Remember, though, he said, if you see a group of them, you had better run away. If there's a group, they can be dangerous. Anyways, they walked this trail many times over her life. Eventually, it came to a time when she was old enough to walk the trail by herself to visit her relatives in the next community. This one time, it was calm, but a tree fell, and she remembered what her grandfather told her. If it's really close, you might be able to run and find a little person. If you catch him, you will have good luck. And she was excited. She ran, and she was feeling good because she had seen one of the little people. He was on a log, and he ran down from her to the other end where the roots were sticking up. He jumped off the log and ran around the trunk to another tree, hiding among the roots. She followed him around the trunk, but when she got to the other side, standing in the roots, sticking out there was a whole bunch of little people waiting for her. And she remembered her grandfather's words again. If you see more than one of the little people, you have to run away. Otherwise they will take you and no one will ever see you again. She didn't have time to run. And they caught her and took her into their world. All she could do was cry and cry. And she would just cry, I want to go home. I don't want to be here with you. I just want to go home. And they said, no, you can't. You can't go home ever again. She would continue. She would just cry and cry. After the girl felt like she was gone with them for like a little while, the elders of the little people had a meeting. The elders came back and said, we're going to let you go home. She was happy and kind of stopped crying. But they said, you have to be ready because it's going to be different. It's not going to be the same. And she said, but what could happen? I've only been gone for a little while. They said, no, you've been gone for a long time. So they said, we're going to give you this drink. You will go to sleep and you would wake up in a place where you got to go. So they gave her that drink and she did go to sleep. When she woke up, she was beside the log where they had caught her. But it was different. The whole log she had ran to was full of moss and everything on the trail was overgrown. 
she realized that she wasn't gone for minutes, like it felt, but she was gone for years and years. She found her way back to the community, but they wondered who she was. They asked her, who are you? Who are you? Who are your parents? Who are your grandparents? That's just how it is. If the people know your parents and your grandparents, they understand who you are and where you would have come from. They knew her and said, whoa, you've been gone a long time. Over 20 years now. Where have you been? She said, the little people took me. They'll see it. They took me. And they realized who she was. She lived. But her parents and her grandparents were all gone. They took her in because they realized she was family. Took her in as a community member. But things were different. Her grandfather and father had been the last hereditary leaders. But that part was now lost. And they had elected chiefs. That young woman would share the story about where she had gone. And I guess that's that's pretty well the end of the story. The little people once took the young girl. And since then... Everything was different. Ooh, that was spooky. So, uh, what are your initial thoughts, like, when we read the story of the little people? Like, what do you see in your mind's eye? What do they look like? Like, how little are we talking here? Because my mind goes to, like, three or four inches, but that, like, that seems... There'd have to be a lot of them to take you in that instance, right? Unless I guess they're magic, maybe. But what's the what's the white person story of the giant? I mean, like Willow, Davy versus Goliath. Oh, oh, oh Willow! I saw Willow. The well, brownies. There are brownies. They were called, right? Yeah, wi- like Willow is what I picture when they're like three, like four or five inches long, and they shoot them with all the arrows and tie them up. <laughs> <I'm> getting <laughs> hit by a thousand toothpicks. Yeah, the toothpicks. Tick, tick, tick. That's a bad way to go. Or like Devil's Pub is a bunch of that in here. Oh, oh. And like, even though they're gone, they're like, ah. It's like the borrowers. Yeah. yeah. Little people live in your house and steal your, you know. Steal your stuff. Yeah. Oh. Acquire, acquire your things. And they ride house hippos. No, I think I think I'm getting my stories mixed up now. One of nature's truly magnificent beings. They steal peanut butter on yeah. toast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> little foot and still tracks, dude. <laughs> But is that they're not that is that how big they are? That's what I see when I'm hearing the story, but Well, I, I don't know. I can't say this with any like conviction. Um but my my mm, perception, I guess, is like two feet, maybe one to two feet. Like just just uh, uh, like gonna big enough. make it I'm gonna make everybody cringe here, but just like big enough that it wouldn't be hard for them to like cut your Achilles. Yeah, I think I just winced. <laughs> well, same thing too. Like um, some other stories too, like um, non-trickster or helpful entities, um, big enough to where like children can interact mm-hmm. and not be put off, mm-hmm. right? So okay. I'm thinking like same thing as Tyrone was saying that um, two feetish, but big enough. Like I mean, at that that height where it's not freaky, like a tiny proportionate human uh, mm-hmm. Indian in the cupboard style. You know, like, yeah, that's what I was picturing. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was picturing. Like a little, like really stereotypical, mm. like Indian man, mm. but 
like the size of an action figure. Yeah. But I don't think that like we did. I didn't get the description of their appearance when I got the story told to us. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, I'm starting to think that is what, more like what you're saying. Like I didn't find much about like our see it, mm-hmm. but I did find little people stories from the inter- our good buddies, the Interior Salish, mm-hmm. and theirs are more along that line of I, that size. Yeah, I also think like there were probably regional differences because they would have survived differently in different environments. Yep. Like, I would never... I don't know, there are little people all over the world. Um, so, like, I, I don't know what the Maui version of little people looks like. But if it were completely different, mm-hmm. like, that makes sense. And this is a good time to just really be explicit that when we're talking about little people, where it's, a, it's these indigenous... I don't like the word mythological, but I'm going to use it. Mythological creatures that are smaller versions of, like, humans, or they're small creatures that are human-like. We're not talking about people who uh, live with the medical condition dwarfism. That's that's not what this Just is about. Putting that up there, trying to maintain a level of respect, but also kind of wonder about this out loud with everybody, right? Do you think of any, like, uh, so I now I'm, like, totally backtracking on what I initially thought when mm. we were reading, but I did, um, like, do you picture any, like, defining characteristics or features they have? Because there's a version I read, and I really didn't picture this in my head when I was listening to the story, but a version I had found of the interior Salish is a lot of them are more like, uh, they're bearded and hairy, like, they're hairy on their body. Mm-hmm. Like almost like fur, right? Oh, oh, it's a oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a red. Yeah, beard. that's the thing. Is like, it, like the idea of catching something and stealing its luck and something like that. That sounds to me like a leprechaun. Mm-hmm. Just had the same thought too, right? Yeah. Once I think it was the tee for me. <laughs> <laughs> but and that's which also I wanted. I wanted to say like we're not. We don't live a traditional Irish lifestyle, so I, I'm going to assume that like people might kind of cringe at that leprechaun comparison but leprechauns like a real leprechaun isn't like the notre dame fighting irish logo of like a little caricature of a man yeah, in a green on, shamrock like yeah put him on yeah. it's it's not like that a, a true leprechaun yeah, is going to be like a sprightly trickster figure being that has a lot of power like it's not going to be this image that people immediately go to and be like well that's not our thing so like a it logo. might be it might be there's probably <laughs> rich stories behind that that, yeah. that that are beyond us at this moment too yeah. so acknowledging that piece tipping the old hat there so yeah you kind of touched on it chris like these these little people like this or maybe it was you ty sorry someone touched on it because these little people like this is a global phenomenon of like indigenous and like cultures that live close to the land Uh having these stories of these little people that have powers and abilities and like there's a trickster dynamic um and that that sort of like that idea of stealing you to another dimension that uh that's echoed in a lot of like quote unquote like fairy stories or like stories of fae there's something very human about like having this type of story like there's something we all i don't know i think it's hard for me not to think there's that nugget of truth because we all have these stories right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like when you're saying globally or like other cultures other like communities Mm -hmm. have a version of that 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 exists yeah yeah so like in south america they have this guy he's called like a duende and he's kind of like, I'm, I'm probably not going to do justice to what it is because as someone who's not South American, but um, it's like a goblin or like a gnomish little guy. And he, he's known to play pranks and he can um, steal people away. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, 
I don't think we. I don't. I don't want to turn this into like anti little people slander because they do have a good side too. Like some of them are seen as spirits of the forests, right? Or when children are lost and alone, they comfort them and, yeah. and, and provide I've, safety for them. Like maybe, maybe this woman she was snatched away, but maybe that had to happen at the time to keep her alive, right? Yeah. So if we're like allowed to like speculate further, like free because it's yep. free thought to like preserve those ways, right? Like because you said at the end, well, at the end of the story, um, things were different, mm -hmm. and and then keeping that that woman um, keeps also the tradition, the heritage, the practice alive, mm -hmm. like un untainted by the newcomers uh, mm -hmm. coming to settle. So I was thinking that's what it was, a preservation for mm -hmm. some yep. reason, like a, a do-gooder or, or a good deed. Mm. Yeah, because I think being being an indigenous woman walking alone near a settlement, like that's in, there's an inherent danger present there. Like, and even today, like, you know, Indigenous women and Our, men, yeah, indigenous women in Canada out there and being around like these remote settlements, like there's an inherent danger to their existence. Yeah, yeah a, very, a very real danger. Like the stats, not to take into yeah, a grim area, numbers, but, like yeah. crime statistics, and the highway, and all that. But the numbers check out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if we're thinking about like their character or like just a general like culture yeah. that they have, mm -hmm. it, it does seem like the general. I don't know if consensus is the right word, but the general sense is that they are tricky people. They are like, they like to play pranks. They like to do that thing, but it does seem like, and I, I mean, it may be different everywhere or different communities, different like nations of little people, mm -hmm. but generally they do have a good heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can say, I, I don't really see the only thing I had thought that maybe contradicts that was this story I had. I'd like to take a second to share it really quick. I'll do the fast version because sometimes I like to ramble. Um, it was in upstate New York. I want to say Tonawanda or Cataragas. Um, I stayed with some um, some family there. My uncle stayed over. My dad, it was like powwow trail stuff. So I'm just staying with new cousins and new uncles. They put me in one of their um, rooms. I don't like the word artifacts, but they had a lot of masks, uh, false faces there, or I think that's what they were called. But that's where I stayed, and uh, my uncle's uh, or my cousin came in, and we stayed there, and he tried to scare me as as usual, as, as per usual. Like natives do that when you have a visitor in their territory, they kind of give you the gears, right, <laughs> for the long con. <laughs> now we're taking it to the radio, right? Well, no, this is where the creepy part happens for me. We were just talking about little people talking about, oh yeah, I know this uh, this person, this girl was lost. Uh, they found her; she was fine, but she was gone for days. Uh, the girl looked fine physically and health wise they were they were great uh they were just lost and left alone um by the river or something like that but anyways after that story in this story was um that's when we heard lots of dogs barking and this being res there's always lots of dogs but it was about maybe as if you're listening out your bedroom and it was across the street in the neighbor's uh, driveway and that's how it sounds distance wise and we had maybe a dozen dogs barking and I'm not sure being aggressive or just, just just howling and barking like a like a dog pound how you would see at a kennel or, or things like that. Suddenly, then we had that dog a dog getting hurt like that that whining that wee or I can't do it again. But um, the dog all the dogs go silent and I can hear the like a gravel driveway is like it's like step drag and I can hear those rocks moving step and it was really slow too at a pace of like step drag step. Drag. And my, my cousin and I were just looking at each other, not quite sure what to make of it. And like, that's so-and-so's yard. That's just right down there. And like, 
course he's trying to scare me like let's go check it out i'm like no <laughs> but that's where i felt that like there's no of course no way to i seen it or, or like we recorded it because it was flip phone days but i feel like something had to have happened because nothing like like the dogs went crazy they stopped and that dragging sound i couldn't know i couldn't rationalize that into like what had happened yeah i think you touch on a good point there about having not seen it though because i think that's not seeing it the fact that this young woman in the story saw the little people and like had that really like conversation with them and like that that's very rare like oftentimes in interaction with little people you're not even going to see them or know that they were there like you know and we can talk about them like they're they're powerful little little beings like um i don't think you know you lined up every canadian citizen in a line shoulder to shoulder and march them across the wilderness i don't think you're going to see a single little person mm-hmm. like you're not it, it it's not like that where it's like there's this there's this guy you're going to catch and he's going to show you the oh. like What's i don't think it's that if easy we, if we just look we'll find like we'll say Loch Ness or other beings that mm-hmm. are in, in in the wilderness yeah i don't think it's that easy no. i think certain people are attuned to, to either see or be interacted with or to interact with or the time lines up right like i don't think yeah so if you are a you know a visitor on these lands and you want to go put out a lasso for a little person i'll say there might be more um, economic uses of your time <laughs> <laughs> um we'll circle back to this because um we're gonna this is a double feature and we have another little person story coming but before we get into that because i think once we get into the next story tie we're gonna we're gonna totally have moved past this Mm -hmm. topic and i just want to really quickly touch on it Mm -hmm. um is that the implications of uh in this time skip there's like in a very real way the world has changed because the there's an assertion of canadian sovereignty Mm -hmm. and with that comes canadian law there's a hint right away as soon as she wakes up that like indigenous like our Coast Salish law or Snow Wild isn't being followed right now in that time, whether it's like people being taken away or it's it's criminalized or what have you. Um, did you guys pick up on what that hint was right when she woke up? I feel like I'm supposed to know this. <laughs> um, so as soon as she woke up, the path along, like this is a major, essentially mm-hmm. a highway. The path is overgrown, right? When it would have been yeah. managed, like there would be people managing this path. And the log that fell in front of them has just been left to rot. So I, I'm putting my neck out here because this is like a vague teaching I've heard that I think you'll sound, you'll agree sounds like right. Yeah. Um, is that like when a tree falls like that right in front of you, like that's a gift. The forest is saying here, like here's a wealth and you use this wood for something because like cert- of course, not in a way that interrupts the rainforest and its natural <laughs> things, but right across the path, that's the forest saying like, hey, Good, good work out there. Here's yeah, a, here's I saw, a, here's I saw a yeah, yeah. yeah. At the very least, looks like on the path and a little bit in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. took it took me a second too. I was like, "What are you using old law?" Yeah. <laughs> right? I was like, "Wait, <laughs> that time of year, you guys work to build a canoe, you know?" Like, <laughs> but no, like yeah, or a totem, or like it's a very like you know anything like, significant thing with the, with that that yeah. gift. I guess it took me a second when you said it was a gift. I'm like, mm-hmm. I had to process that for a second. Yeah, and also from that shift, like a shift from a hereditary to an elected system. There, I just know so like to us, that's a pretty profound and like that's a sad change. But there's people who are going to be like, well, damn. I don't want an autocracy running my lands. Someone's it sounds like socialism. Yeah, like it's not it's not hereditary like Game of Thrones, Old English. Like mm. henceforth, 
the Lord's uh. child, if he's born with a penis, shall inherit every animal and creature. And th it's not like that. Yeah. That's not what our hereditary system ever was or ever has been or ever will be. Maybe he's like, I have an idea of it in my head, but maybe you want to give it a go, Ty. Okay, well, for one, Joffrey Baratheon <laughs> would have been banished at the very least. Because he was a urine boy, yeah. and we're going to have an episode on that later. <laughs> um, but no, in the big house, um, the general structure, and this did change depending on nation and communities and all that, but just, just for a general sense of how this works is in the big house, you would have one big extended family and there would be different fires within the house around each of those uh around each of those fires there would be one cl like closer related family so over here would be me and my family at the next fire would maybe be jackson and his family and there'd be like one extended family and each of those fires would have one um leader and that would be the quote-unquote hereditary leader but there were mechani mechanisms for removing that title from that person and often even though it was hereditary it didn't mean it went to the firstborn it meant that it went to somebody that was suited for it within that family and so those fires would have their each have their own leader those leaders would confer to a head of the entire household and in those big houses, or well, um, those big houses would be lined up alongside other big houses, and that would make up and make up a village or a nation. And inside of those big houses, the same thing happened. And so the heads of the household would all confer to one hereditary leader. And if you if you map that out, if you put that on paper, that's a representational democracy, mm -hmm. and that's not something that white folks have even. Thought. We're still working on it. Well, no, they they, they have writing in the book somewhere. They, didn't understand. Some they have a, like Greeks and whatever. Yeah. But and uh, they had mechanisms of like trying to disempower their own king. Like that's yeah. how we have a, the Canadian court system. Yeah. And, that, but. and they at this by this point they had learned from the Haudenosaunee, mm -hmm. um, oldest democracy in the world. Yeah. So they they do have some understanding of it, but they don't like they don't see what we're doing as that. They don't see it. They don't see the power behind it. And so they thought, and will still think, that it's like we had a king. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which it's not. It's we had a guy who was such a or or women or them a or person, whatever. A we person. had a person. Yeah, actually, a lot of our terms are non-gendered, which yeah. is a good point to make. Yeah. Um. So we had a person. Um. And they would be put in charge because they walked a good way. They had lived their entire life being like they were someone who was a model of like you're in charge because you're a good person and mm -hmm. we trust you mm -hmm. um and there's this acquiescence to like all the two their things among the group and it's fluid so if that person deviates from that path and starts starts going down a down a bad path we're going to shift our leadership away and there's a fluid notion and maybe like someone who's a chief of war who's going to lead our you know our soldiers into battle mm -hmm. isn't necessarily a chief of day-to-day -day governance or mm -hmm. resource management or inter-tribal politics so mm -hmm. yeah. there's there's roles and it's not just like we had a king and we got away from that hooray mm -hmm. that's not what happened yeah it was it was a complete our, we had an entire system that worked for us and mm -hmm. it was totally gone um something that i would like to know before they removed the hereditary system they they had changed things even then 
the people that they would interact with and felt like deserved their respect, they meaning the settlers, mm-hmm. uh, were often the war chiefs. And so there was a more of an emphasis on like a warrior structure. And that's where I think some misunderstandings come from that we were like this warlike people. And not to say that that didn't happen. Every, every, every nation in history had conflict and war. Yes. But it's just not, it's not like we were especially like, well, no, (laughs) it wasn't wasn't like you see in the U S now where there's this state of war that is permanent and ongoing. It wasn't like that. Yeah. Um, and also on that note, like some, I can't, I didn't verify this, so I'm putting my neck there if you want to burn me down. Yeah. You can, but if you come at the king, you better not miss. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm Don't joking. joking. <laughs> um, is that like, at times, like nations would move, right? We would mm-hmm. leave. So our village site, the people who would be left in the area were probably like outsiders and outcasts. And then, so they wouldn't have those ties to the whole nation. They'd be like, you know... Um, I don't know how to explain it. Like, we would have these fringe people. Every society had fringe people, Mm -hmm. right? And, like, we might call them tricksters even, or, like, they would be on the fringes of society and didn't have that buy-in. And those people might be the ones that had signed lands or signed agreements. So there was, it was, the Canadian mechanism would have been like, oh, there's an Indigenous man here. He Mm -hmm. can sign this away. It was a signature. In our context, it's like... We don't know that guy. We don't <laughs> interact with that guy. He's just a guy oh, that's here. Dave? Like, like, we don't suck. <laughs> like, there were people outside of the nation system. And, mm-hmm. the, and the like, there were these fringe people that existed mm-hmm. in the area that actually weren't part of, like, the people, quote-unquote. They they weren't part of the Muslim. Mm-hmm. And you still see that nowadays where, like... Oh, Canada conferred with uh, the indigenous local, local group nation, yeah. nations, and it's like, well, they don't even live here. <laughs> <laughs> now, to tie it back to the story, like our uh, our Hokamina word for friends and relatives, so basically community members, is a siet, yeah. So I find it really interesting that siet is the little people. So there must be something in that name about like siet, yeah, are the people who are us, who are part of our group, or who who we know. And as see it, they're outside of it. Now, to go even further with that, the see and see it um, mirrors the see and see it. Um, and that's the word for scared. So I think there's something about this word see and how it's used in these words, in this uh, description, that uh, it's about something that we're afraid of because it's not one of us. So I think if you put it that way, like this story... There's a really deep and uh, vast possibility of metaphor that, like, it could, like, maybe it is about these dangerous fringe outsiders or, or people of unknown or frightful standing in community rather than like a size thing. As far as little, it's it's really hard to say what what this story means and what could have been lost in its translation. And so, having said that. We're going to go really out there in Galaxy Brain uh, with our next analysis of what these little people could be. But you're going to have to tune in to part two of our doubleheader on the Siet, or little people, to hear it. Next episode, we're going to be lucky enough to uh, analyze a story of Siet from one of our own. Your boy Tyrone Elliott has a story for us. And so, I'm signing off to say, Eight Snate. Or, good night, everybody. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>